Hi, this is Joel Walson with Triumph of Seattle. You're listening to The Sound Rider Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of The Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Derek. Yes, Tom. Look outside the window. What do you see? Tell the listeners what you see out there. I see quite possibly the most perfect scenic northwestern landscape that I've ever seen in my life. It's a beautiful day. It's it's uh, April, and we can see the whole Olympic Peninsula. And uh, Derek's fairly new to the area, so he has a lot to explore. But as you look down the peninsula, all the way from up there at Port Angeles, all the way down there to the Bremerton area, there's a bunch of dirt roads that you haven't ridden yet. So with that said, why don't we go ahead and just get this podcast thing knocked out of the way, and then I can get out there and ride. Hey, there you go. I don't know why we just didn't ditch today and and go riding instead. Plenty of daylight now with daylight savings time in effect. So let's get the show on the road. What do you say? <laughs> All right. Well, greetings, everybody. I am Tom Marin, along with the co-host, Derek Roberts. And welcome to the Soundwriter Show once again, where we focus on motorcycling news, events, and people around the Pacific Northwest and beyond. This is the April 2015 show, show number 1504. Derek, let the listeners know what's happening on the program this month. Well, I just want to take a second to thank everybody for tuning in again. This is uh, the second place on my list of where I'd want to be. The other place, of course, would be on the motorcycle like we just talked about. And there is a lot going on out here in the Northwest uh, as we're rolling into this beautiful weather and this beautiful riding time of year. And we want to talk a little bit here about uh, a couple of interesting news stories later on in the show. For instance, motorcycles and saran wrap, probably a good heads up. You want to stay tuned for that. And uh, Tom's got a little math project going on, so also some interesting uh, things going on here at Soundrider HQ. And, uh, of course, always in the Pacific Northwest, great events going on, including the Backfire Moto Night coming up and the Euro Moto Show. We'll have a little more details on that in just a bit. And, uh, of course, we also have some great interviews prepared for you, like we always do, including Gary Strode. Gary's been working hard for over a decade now to get the Granite Falls MX Park opened up, and we're going to talk to him about that. And then a very exciting uh, interview as well with Dr. Greg Frazier. For those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Greg Frazier has ridden around the world multiple times, four times solo, five times uh, in all, and he's working on his sixth one, sixth trip around the world right now. you got to stay tuned for that. We always like talking to Greg. So with uh, that said, though, those are all things that are going to be coming up later. We want to hit the uh, heavy stuff early here. We've got a uh, new i-405 toll lanes going up for those of you who might not be familiar with the region that's one of the roads that run back and forth between seattle and our sort of sister city bellevue tom what's going on on i-405 well actually i-405 runs between linwood and renton but we'll get you uh, we'll get you squared away on that map soon uh so what's happening is i'm sure that if you live in the region and particularly if you drive in the region or ride in the region you know that they're putting in some express lanes and the question on everybody's mind has been where does that leave the motorcyclist these are toll express lanes you can't get in them without paying for them if you're in a in a cage 
However, we got a notice from the DOT the other day telling us that it would be free for motorcyclists to use those express toll lanes. But there's a hitch. And what is the hitch? It's not free. It's not free. Well, that doesn't you, make any sense. You have to have a good-to-go account, which means you'll have to have $30 to put in it to open it up, and you'll have to pay $8 to get the sticker that goes across the front of your bike so it can be read, and so you won't get told. So it sounds to me like free means $38. That, yeah, that sounds, like, that sounds like the way people think now in the state sometimes, too, I think, you know. It says 38 bucks is free, right? Yeah, well, so, I mean, this is obviously uh, with my geography mishap there. I don't get out and ride the interstates or the tolls too much. When I do, I prefer the back roads, or other than that, I'm usually on foot. But what, um, I mean, how big of a benefit would this be to riders? Is traffic really uh, that... Uh, that horrific going back and forth. I can hear my listeners right now who are all going, whoa, Derek, you got to get up on I-405 at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday and find out what it's all about. Well, yeah, it's it's big time. There's there's just no room to put all the vehicles. Well, it's kind of like, you know how it is downtown on rush hour now? Sure. Same thing on I-405 at rush hour. Well, I've heard the horror stories, and maybe that's part of the reason why I don't get out there and uh, ride it or drive it. And I am uh, fortunate enough not to have to do that. So this would be something that would be worth the $38 then for most people? Well, okay, so seemingly, yes. But if the, if the motorcyclist can go ahead and do this and not have to pay, why in the first place do they need to have the good-to-go account or the good-to-go sticker? That's the hot-button topic right now amongst the riders. And I am with that 100%, and I want to make sure that I am uh, clear with our listeners as well. I would much prefer for it to be free, but I'm just trying to think uh, from sort of a more step-back perspective here. Um, obviously, it doesn't look like there's going to be any change anytime soon. So do you think this is something that a lot of motorcyclists will take advantage of still? I think it's something that the state needs to take a look at what they're doing down on SR-167, where they do let riders in that toll lane for free without having to have the account, without having to have the sticker on your bike. Why are they changing the rules up on the Interstate 405? We don't know. And, you know, if I was working at the state, I might be scratching my head right about now wondering the same thing myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying to the state, it's okay for you to go backwards and say, yeah, you know, you're right. We made a mistake. It's just going to be free for motorcyclists. There's not that many of us out there. There's just 3.4% of the population of Washington rides. And, uh, and we, we made a mistake, and we're going to go ahead and let you guys in there for free without having to open up a good-to-go account. That, that's what I would say the state ought to consider doing is go ahead and backpedal and do this right. Well, I think that would be the reasonable thing to do, which gives me hesitation as to whether or not it will actually occur. Has there been any talk that you've heard that uh, maybe there's some reconsideration on the state's end? Not up to this point. So for the April issue, there's an article online. We've got uh, the letters that we got from the DOT, from the DOT contractor. We've got links to the various PDF files of more information about this. Now, what they're saying is they're happy to come out and talk to your club or your writing group 
and and uh, explain the details. So invite them to come and do that and let them know what you think. Let them know that uh, maybe you're being singled out in the wrong way here by having to open up these accounts, pay these $38 so that you can use the lane for free. Well, and hopefully we'll have some listeners and some clubs and groups maybe that will uh, take a take you up on that offer and take the state up on that offer because, as we know, uh, in both motorcycling and politics, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Oh, I thought it was the worm. The squeaky wheel gets the worm? Oh, no, I guess that's not right. I mean, that's you're riding in the dirt too much. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Ah, okay. Uh, next thing I want to cover here is just a quick event update. Uh, the Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour is underway, and we have been having a lot of fun across Facebook and Twitter putting up some of the pictures of the food that people are finding when they're out there. So uh, we recently put up a shot of the uh, surf and turf out at location number one, and people went nuts for that. Uh, we also put up a picture of the Huckleberry Pie a la mode at location number 15, which is down near the Columbia River Gorge. And uh, you can find out more about all this by taking a look at the soundwriter.com backslash cafe to cafe page or just click on the ad that's rotating across the top of the site. If you want more information about it, it's quite a lot of fun. And uh, people are jumping in there, signing up, and uh, we're having a good turnout this year so far. And steak, huckleberry pie, and motorcycles. That sounds like a pretty great trio to me. So. Um, not to mention some great roads getting to and from the locations. Yep, and in a day like today, just another great reminder that uh, you got to get out there and ride. So uh, last month in March, we had some really good things happen for the rally in the gorge. Uh, we've got Clement Salvadori, who is uh, editor for Rider Magazine, coming to the rally this year. He came uh, three or four years ago and put on some really good uh, presentations, and so he'll be back again. Uh, looks like we're going to have Gary LaPlante coming up and uh, doing some more dual sport off-road training type things there. Um, we're doing the burger feed again. Not sure if we're doing that Thursday or Friday night yet, but we'll be getting the schedule up this month and uh, kind of get everything solidified. Uh, we will have another Grom event. And those who of you who went last year, you know we had the Gromstacle where basically they burnt up three clutches on three. Says it will be different this year. So I'm not sure what he's got up his sleeve, but but there will definitely be a Grom competition that you'll be able to participate in if you want. Um, just a whole lot of stuff coming together. And like I say, now we've got enough where we can get that schedule going up online. And already getting a lot of interest, too. And let's just remind the listeners one more time on those dates. Uh, it's going to be August 26th through the 30th at the Hood River County Fairgrounds. Man, the Columbia River Gorge, just uh, just some of the best, best riding that you can find out there. Uh, also, event-wise, we've got our Sasquatch Dual Sport Tour. We've got the registration open on that now. People are starting to sign up. And uh, we've got the route laid out. I've got several free riders who will be out there over the next few months checking out all the roads and making sure everything's passable. Uh, not, not a crazy winter weather-wise, so it should be pretty good. And uh, always fun when we do have to make adjustments and find our workarounds and discover new things when we do that. 
So that's all coming together. That'll be down along the Oregon coast going from Astoria all the way down to California and then back up into Oregon, uh, ending up at Grants Pass four days later. And that's going to be what now you're out on the bike for is that three or four days for Sasquatch? It's going to be four days four this days. year. Usually it's five, but the way the route turned out, it it it, it turned in at at a at a four day event. So so that'll be uh, uh, July sixth through the ninth. So gear up, get those uh, BMWs and those uh, Super Tenere's or DR three fifties like myself, and get out there. And the last event that we'll be doing this year is going to be coming online shortly. Uh, it's called the Road Trip 2015. Everybody's going to meet down in Ashland, Oregon, and we're going to ride back roads all the way down for two days down to the Napa Sonoma area. And then we're going to do some loop riding around Napa Sonoma on Wednesday. Thursday and Friday, we're going to head back up to Oregon by way of the coast and a whole bunch of back roads there. So uh, lots of good stuff going on with that, and we've got a pre-rider all set to go. We've got the route set for him, so pretty soon that's going to be pre-ridden as well. And uh, is this the this is the outer reaches here of the Pacific Northwest? Have you done a road trip down to Sonoma before? We did, but we did it in the car. I so see. So Connie and I kind of went down and and uh, scoped us all out. Uh, last year and a couple of years before and started looking at all. There's just a, an awesome network of twisty roads between Napa and Sonoma all up through the valleys there. And then out on the east side of the Napa area, there's a whole bunch of other network of twisty roads. So that Wednesday is going to be a blast. And always a better experience when you're on two wheels. So uh, everybody should be looking forward to that. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with News Bites. It's time to get the best deal of the year on a star motorcycle at the Get Out and Ride sales event happening now at Adventure Motorsports. With huge customer cash plus low APRs on most new star motorcycles. From the V-Star 1300 Deluxe and Chopper-inspired Raider and Striker to the Bolt Bobber all-new Bolt C-Spec and more. So hurry to Adventure Motorsports today for a great get-out-and-ride sales event deal. Visit Adventure Motorsports in Monroe, Washington today or online at adventuremotorsports.net. Offers good through June 30th, 2015 on Select Star Motorcycles. See dealer for details. Hello, my name is Don Harvey and I'm from Preston, Washington. And totally unrehearsed, one of my favorite rides in the Pacific Northwest, a day ride let's say, is on the Olympic Peninsula, the High Steel Bridge, and up over the pass to Lake Wayanuchi, and just make a nice loop and a good day of it. One of my favorite places to go if I have a nice weekend in the Pacific Northwest. All right, we're back here on the Soundwriter Show, and it's uh, myself, Tom Marin, and Derek Roberts. And uh, I hate to break your heart. I try to keep this show under 60 minutes, but uh, you better plan a little extra time today because I know that our interviewers are going to run a little long. So we're looking at a more than a 60-minute show here. Uh, so, you know, you're going to have to put up with us, I guess. Worthwhile, though. <laughs> So we're going to do a quick read through the news bites here and tell you what's going on. Um, latest thing that came across the wire today was that someone has been stretching saran wrap across the interstate in Idaho. 
Now, uh, the problem with that is, is that you'd think you could just hit it and go right through it, but the way the molecular structure of saran wrap is, it uh, packs quite a few pounds of pressure when you wing into it. So uh, if you were on a motorcycle and you hit that, that would be a real ugly thing. Uh, bad news indeed. And I guess so far it's only been uh, there are mishaps with uh, automobiles, with cars, so no motorcycles yet. Is that right? Yeah, there was just a broken windshield out on the uh, interstate last Sunday night, which would be two Sunday nights ago at this point. Um, and they thought they had caught the guys, but then the guys fled on foot and took off on another vehicle. So they're still out there, and uh, they seem to be doing this thing at night because that's probably the only time it's safe enough for them to run across the interstate. Uh, I would stay clear of an interstate in Idaho from any time the sun goes down until it comes up right now. Well, just good advice anyway just to ride those back roads, right? Absolutely. Uh, we're working on a little math project. If you're a lady writer, favorite or star, the tweet or the Facebook. If you're a guy, share or retweet. Uh, I have to tell you, not getting big action on this. And I think it's because we don't have a nice picture of, of pie a la mode there. Well, that's uh, what we've seen on our Facebook page. Always a good encouragement. Um, but, you know, let's give it a little time. We'll see what's going on. It'd be kind of nice, uh, interesting to do a little research in that uh, arena and see see what our breakdown is. And the reason that I threw that out there was that somebody released an article recently saying that 24% of motorcyclists were women. Last time I checked that number, it was 11%. So I just kind of want to know, reader-wise, what we were seeing on that. And uh, who knows? Well, the more riders, the better. That's all we care around here. All righty. What's uh, – we're going to do one more thing Yeah, I here. think the last thing we want to talk about was uh, Washington State Route 20. The clearing is going to start here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's coming up now. You know, that usually gets cleared out in uh, May, sometimes as late as June. But they already started the clearing in the middle of March, and they expect that it will open in the middle of April. Uh, I've been watching the daily reports coming in, and they are getting through the frozen ice and all that stuff at a, at a record pace right now. So uh, we're going to see that open up most likely here in the middle of April. And uh, that woman with her pastries will be up there, I'm sure, uh, taking care of people. And uh, I know we have some friends who uh, they really like getting up there on opening day because they put all the motorcycles up in front. So the first people through are on the bikes and are not held back by the slow vehicle traffic. So you can keep an eye out for when that will officially be cleared. And, of course, we've got all kinds of other stuff going on in the uh, News Bites column. If you just go to soundwriter.com. Click on the News Bites tab. You can keep up with our rolling feed. Well, like I said, I'm going to move this quickly, so we're going to bounce over to the calendar now and just talk about some of the highlights during uh, the month of April. Lots of good stuff coming up here, so why don't you let us know what's going on? So first and foremost, uh, on uh, February, excuse me, uh, April 11th and 12th down at the Seattle Center, uh, we've got the Euromoto 2015 motorcycle show coming up. And uh, if you didn't listen to the podcast last month, you can play it back anytime after you're done listening to this one and listen to our interview with Kevin Davis, who is putting on the show. So that'll be coming up. Uh, it's springtime, and that means that Backfire Moto is back in Ballard. 
And uh, there's all kinds of people that show up on this. I know they wish it was only cafe bikes that were there, but that's not the case. Uh, we see dual sports. We see sport bikes. We see classics. We see sidecars. We see homegrown. Who knows what they are? A little bit of everything. Ballard, a very fun neighborhood, and that's always a cool event. Even if you're just going to go down there on foot, walk around, and uh, have a nice meal and check out the bikes, I definitely encourage people to do that. So that'll be happening uh, on the 18th of April. Key Peninsula Chapter Swap Meet. Hadn't heard of this one before. I don't know if they've done this before or if this is the first year. But this will be happening out at the Peninsula Motorcycle Store, 4350 Southwest State Highway 16 in Port Orchard. That's not hard to find. Uh, they'll have vendors there. They'll have motorcycles new and used, parts, accessories, gear, and otherwise. So uh, that'll be happening on April 18th. Also on the 18th, out on the east side of the state, the CMA Fast Lane Tale of the Snake event. This is the seventh year for them doing the event. They have moved it to Colfax, Washington. Uh, that's in the Palouse. And there's always a lot of great roads to ride out in the Palouse. Uh, they'll even have some dual sport rides out there as well. So uh, check that one out on April 25th. Uh, the Washington Vintage Motorcycle Club. This is not the VME. This is the WVMC. Uh up in uh, kind of th th this group is more centered up in uh, north of Seattle here. Uh, they're going to be doing their annual motorcycle swap meet and show again at the Skagit County Fairgrounds in Mount Vernon. Two bucks to get in. What a deal! Cost you more to park. I think it's five bucks. Uh, you could get a booth if you want to. Those are real expensive too. A ten by ten is only thirty bucks. So uh, that's a good deal. Um, information on how to contact any of the people putting any of these events on, you just uh, jump out to Soundwriter and click on the calendar page, and you'll see all the information right there. All right. Uh, record time on the calendar. We're going to be right back with our first guest. And that's going to be Gary Strode. This episode of the Sound Rider Show is made possible in part by Skagit Power Sports. Hi, everyone. This is Bill Cameron from Skagit Power Sports. We're the largest motorcycle dealer in the North Sound. Come on in and check out all the latest models from Yamaha, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Ducati, and KTM. Want to take a demo ride? Bring your endorsement, and you can do just that. We also carry a large selection of premium used bikes, parts, and accessories. Be sure to check out our website at SkagitPowerSports.com. Hi, I'm Carol, and I'm from Olympia, and one of my favorite pavement rides is Highway 47 from Klatskanai on south. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sound Rider Show. Uh, thanks for tuning in again. Uh, next up on the show, we've got a, uh, a very interesting story here. Uh, friend of the show, Gary Strode, a former professional motocross racer and uh, current uh, moto entrepreneur, if you will, has been working on trying to get a uh, motocross track opened up in Granite Falls, uh, just north of Seattle here, 
for almost a decade and recently just had some success with the Snohomish County Council uh, finally approving that. And uh, we just wanted to talk to Gary a little bit about what to expect on the track and a little bit of the history of development. So with all that said, uh, Gary, welcome to the Soundwriters Show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So uh, now, as I understand it here, you uh, first started out, uh, well, you've ran a professional motocross setup before down uh, in so- just south of Seattle, and uh, you were doing that. That was MXGP, and you had some uh, issues with the government there, and they were sort of uh, encouraged you to maybe move the track. And then you found this parcel in Granite, uh, Granite Falls almost a decade ago. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a track in Monroe, Washington, that we ran. Um for five years, and that was a really nice facility um, called MXGP. And then we, um, the county shut it down. It was called illegal use of land, and it was because of the soccer fields that we had. We actually had 14 soccer fields, and that's what we originally got uh, red tagged for. <clears throat> but the county, uh, we went to court against the county, and they vowed that, well, they were told by the hearing examiner that they would have to relocate us. And that was, yeah, almost 10 years ago. And then at that time, uh, you find this, uh, you find this uh, spot in Granite Falls, and you think it's going to be, I assume, a pretty quick turnaround, and that's almost a decade ago. Yeah, if you would ask me back then, you know, I, I would have told you it was going to be a couple of years, and uh, if you would have told me it was going to take 10 years to do it, I would have never started. Sure, well, we're certainly glad that you did. And so that brings us up, let's sort of fast forward a little bit, maybe, uh, you know, through some of the muck. And what were some of the main sticking points to this Granite Falls area? Was it uh, noise concerns? Was it environmental concerns? Well, the the problem is the county and the the appellants, the, the neighbors, they don't understand the project. So they bring up all kinds of crazy stuff that it's going to do, you know, that we're going to contaminate the, the aquifer, we're going to you know, create too much noise, um, it's going to create too much traffic, it's going to create, you know, the emergency services are going to be so flooded over with taking <laughs> riders hurt, you know, down off the mountain loop that they weren't going to be able to have any uh, services and, I mean, all kinds of crazy things that aren't what it's going to be like. Uh, so. Nobody nobody noticed that that uh, freeway right next door to the track was uh, kind of busy during rush hour on weekdays, huh? Well, the road to it, uh, Mountain Loop Highway, is not very busy, um, and it's pretty easy to get out there. Oh no, I'm uh, talking about I'm talking about the old track, though. Oh yeah, no, the old track with the 14 soccer fields. You know, you have a soccer tournament. You have, you know, 28 teams exiting and entering all at the same time. You know, 28 teams of you know 15 kids each, and uh, so you're you're exchanging every hour. You know, you're exchanging 500 people in, 500 people out, and that wasn't a problem at our facility in Monroe. Not to mention the motorcycles and everything else we had going on. There wasn't any traffic issues at all. But somehow this motorcycle racetrack is going to bring just massive amounts of traffic, which absolutely isn't the case. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, we'll let people play a boring sport like soccer all day long, but if someone's going to go have some fun, that really uh, starts to raise some red flags, huh? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... (laughs) It's it's pretty crazy what what they will allow you to do, you know, um, and what they won't allow you to do. You know, they'll they'll build skateboard parks all over the place that are they. There's no medics out there. There's no supervision, so the kids are out there doing drugs and and riding their skateboards, and that's fine. And the you know the taxpayers will pay for that. 
so that there's some place for these kids to go and do their drugs, but to have a place that's, you know, that's insured, that has, the parent has to be there because they have to sign a waiver for the kids. So they have to be sure. there the whole time their kid's riding and there's supervision and medics available. That's a bad thing. You don't want that in your county. So take me, uh, let's go back up here just uh, all the way to uh, the end here to March 2nd. So it comes down to, we go through all this red tape and you keep fighting. You've got this decade-long battle. And it comes down to a vote in the Snohomish County Council, a five-member council. And that's on March 2nd. So what happened on March 2nd? Well, on March 2nd, they um, they voted 4-1 to one in favor of the track. And um, they told a you know, room that was jam-packed with motorcycle enthusiasts that, that that vote wouldn't change and that it was all good and they didn't need to come back. So we've got that in writing then. They've approved the uh, the further construction of the track. Well, we didn't have it in writing until the following Friday, the, the Friday of that week. And the, the vote ended up being uh, 3-0. to zero. Um, two of the council members that voted for the track actually recused themselves because of illegal contact uh, with outside sources, one of which was illegal contact with um, the appellants themselves, not with anybody from our group. Well, that's charming, huh? Yeah. So then, um, But then the person that voted against the track, Dave Summers, ended up voting to approve the track um, in the end with the stipulation that we build the sound burn first. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just consider that on my end a unanimous decision then, 3-0. It sounds like the entire uh, county's behind it. Um, yeah. So yeah. so now we've got it approved, and uh, you mentioned the, the sound brim, uh, the sound barrier construction that has to, under, that has to be uh, built before the track can operate. How long is that going to take? A couple years. It's going to take at least two years to do it. Okay, so we'll be looking maybe within the next couple of years, though, you should be able to open the gates and get people in. Yeah, we're hoping to, to be open in three years, you know, get the sound burn completed and then build the tracks and facilities and, uh, you know, do all the stuff for that in the next year after that. So probably three years before we're able to open. Well, considering the uh, amount of time and effort and I'm sure money you've put in it, in it, into it up to this point, uh, three years probably doesn't sound too bad to you right now. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's definitely not the ideal situation, but it's uh, it's a good situation. I mean the good news is that once it's built, and with the sound berm up, we'll have to we'll be able to pass any sound test without any problems. We do have to, have to do a lot of testing. So over. basically, this sound berm is kind of like uh, like a giant satellite dish where the sound inside just reflects off the walls and goes up. Is that correct? That's correct. It's twenty five foot high sound berm. And I got the idea from that down at Las Vegas Motor Speedway when I was down there for the World Mini. They have a 15-foot-high sound berm around their motocross track. And at 100 yards from the track, you cannot hear the bikes running at all. Well, that's pretty impressive uh, there. I mean, for, I mean, I guess it's the basic technology that always works the best, huh? Yeah, exactly. It was like that was an epiphany for me when I found that when I was down there. I was like, you cannot hear the bikes at all. And, and uh, this is what we need to do. So, And you're flanked on each side by a gravel pit as well, right? Yes. There's a gravel pit to the west and a gravel pit to the east. Okay. So let's, my... let's talk a little bit, though, about the facilities because I'm sure people are interested in that. What uh, can we expect? Because this is, a, this is going to be almost 80 acres. Is that correct? 
Yes, the uh, the footprint, the cleared footprint is seventy nine point two acres, which a uh, large portion of that is no, well, not a, a small portion of that is the sound berm that goes around the outside. Sure. So it's it's going to be about fifty eight acres of tracks and parking facilities. Um, so we'll have um, two main uh, motocross race tracks uh, that will hold, you know race events at and that'll be one will be more of an outdoor style traditional style motocross track and the other one will be more of a jumpy um outdoor track with you know bigger jumps and hoops and stuff like that so that sounds awesome so there'll be two different styles then we'll also have a you know beginner vet level track um for recreation it's just all tabletops and very smooth um you know and easy on the body and very safe uh, for beginner level riders. Uh, we'll have a whole kids uh, riding and racing facility where they'll have their own track. So all kids with bikes, you know, 50s and 65s, um, and then all the four-stroke, you know, the the you know 50cc up to 150cc four-stroke, you know, little you know play bikes, will be able to ride on. Um, together without having to worry about getting landed on by bigger bikes and and stuff like that um so that'll be a really cool and safe facility for kids to be able to go recreate and not have to worry about you know dealing with what happens at other tracks with the bigger bikes well already a lot of excitement building around it you know we uh posted an article on sound rider and we also did a, a facebook post uh just prior to the vote there and we got a lot of positive response so certainly a lot of people in your corner and, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a really great thing for the area, and it's so close to Seattle, too. It's going to be just another great spot for uh, all you motocross heads uh, to get out there and ride. And uh, maybe for guys like me to just give it a shot for the first time, huh? Absolutely. I mean, we're going to have a lot of stuff going on up there. We'll have, um, you know, motocross schools, but also, you know, learning to ride schools, you know, beginner riding stuff, um, a lot of that um, going on up there. We'll have kids camps and events and um you know there'll always be something going on up there and things to do and recreate and enjoy it uh, we'll have uh, camping facilities with full hookups for rvs um so it'll be a pretty much a destination spot so uh, as per the agreement there's limited hours it can operate what are those hours um boy i don't have the permit right in front of me but i believe it's 9 a.m until 8 p.m. Um, and it cannot up we cannot race on week weekdays we can only do races on weekends but we can do practice days on weekdays um oh you could do the race- training and that sort of thing on the weekdays yes absolutely okay um so rider training uh practice days uh stuff like that we can do on the weekdays um race events will be held on the weekends and um we, we're only able to run a total of 150 days a year. Um, but in Washington State, you know, you pretty much shut down for the winter anyway because it's, you know, with rain and everything like sure. that. So so it, it, it works with us. It, it'll be fine. It, it'll work out great. Well, Gary, like I said, uh, a lot of people in the region are definitely looking forward to it. And uh, we here at SoundRider are certainly looking forward to it too. And I hope that you will keep us uh, informed as progress is being made, because uh, we definitely want to uh, get the word out and let people know when they can start riding up there in uh, Granite Falls. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be letting people know, um, 
you know, through you guys and, and uh, through our Facebook page. If you want to get it on Facebook, you can go to MXGP, uh, Granite Falls MX, um, and friend us on Facebook, and then there will be a lot of information on what's going on there uh, on our Facebook page. Well, that's great. And, hey, Gary, I do appreciate you taking the time uh, this afternoon to join us on the Soundwriter Show. Uh, congratulations. Uh, I know, like I said, this is, and we discussed, this has been a long battle for you, and uh, it looks like you're you know, getting close to the finish line. Um, keep up the good fight, and uh, hopefully we'll see you up there in Granite Falls uh, in just a couple of years, it sounds like. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. All right, thank you, Gary. We are right. going to be right back with our next guest who is calling in from Malaysia, Greg Frazier. This episode of the Sound Rider Show is made possible in part by Ride West BMW. Hi, this is Dave Sweezy with Ride West BMW, the only exclusive BMW motorcycle dealer in the region. Do you own a BMW or thinking about getting into one? Across three decades, Ride West has provided sales and service to BMW owners from around the Pacific Northwest and around the world. And BMW Motorcycles is all we do. Our sales staff and technicians are some of the best in the region. Stop by and visit us on Lake City Way in Seattle soon. Hi, my name is Dan Muir. I'm from Silverdale, Washington. I ride, among other bikes, an R1150GS. And my favorite local ride is to uh, head up to Fort Townsend in the afternoon just for a cup of coffee. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sound Rider Show. Just a, another awesome day to be in studio here in Seattle. And I got to tell you, I'm very excited about today's guest as an ADV rider myself. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about today's guest. He's a man that has circumnavigated the globe five times. Four of those have been solo trips. He's been to the ends of the earth, places like Ushuaia, Dead Horse, and North Cape. He's been jailed, bitten, shot at, authored more than a dozen books, and has over one million miles under wheel. Dr. Gregory Frazier, welcome to the Soundwriter Show. Hey, welcome, guys. Nice to talk to you. Well, we certainly appreciate you uh, being on here, Greg. And uh, I'm going to note for our listeners here that you're about uh, 15 hours difference than our time right now. So why don't we start out? Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're at in the world and what you're currently up to? Uh, I'm sitting in Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia, which is a uh, home for the Sepang uh, MotoGP course, but also a, a major town here in Malaysia. I'm doing research on uh, early motorcyclists that have uh, either lived in or traveled through uh, this part of the world, uh, like Clancy, uh, for instance, who we'll talk about later. Uh, this is a very vibrant uh, part of the world for motorcycles, but the majority of them are small. Uh, however, the community, uh, motorcycle community, has been around since at least 1912, and I would venture to guess all the way up to 1901. And that is absolutely something we want to get to in here uh, in just a bit to talk about the book. But is this your first time? I mean, certainly it's not your first time in uh, riding through Asia, but Kuala Lumpur, are you pretty familiar with uh, the motorcycle scene there? No, I, uh, the one time I was here before, I rode in. Uh, the, the The road system here is, uh, I, I, it, it, it's a very modern road system. Uh, it's well paved and multi lane, but 
you really have to be a local to figure it out because there's a lot of one-way overflies, uh, and obviously the the signage is in Malaysian, which is uh, English uh, letters. But uh, unless you have, are focused on where you're going, it's easy to get turned around. Uh, when I was here before, I I played tourists. I drove into town, I parked, and then I uh, walked around for a couple of days and then got on the motorcycle and rode out. Uh, this time I'm in doing research, uh, going to the library, going to uh, motorcycle shops and meeting with motorcycle travelers that are based here or passing through Kuala Lumpur at this time of the year. And I'm sure, uh, obviously, that's one of the joys of traveling is trying to figure out uh, the local customs there. What uh, I mean, we'd, obviously, it's smaller bikes. You mentioned that. What kind of uh, motorcycles do you see mostly in that part of the world? Are they uh, are they coming in from uh, Japan? Are we talking like small Hondas and that sort of thing? Or are we talking Chinese brands? Uh, here in Malaysia, I see a lot of step through models. Uh, not millions of them, like uh, in Vietnam, for instance, but um, uh, maybe one out of uh, fifty vehicles going down the road would be a step through. 125 or 110 commuter uh, motor bike, uh, Honda, Yamaha, uh, with uh, often a, a little top box on the back where they kind of keep their briefcase helmet out of the rain. It rains here a lot. It's just uh, you know, equatorial and it's it's jungle and it's hot, humid. So uh, um, when I when I look at bikes in the bike parking lots, like I looked at one last night, it must have had 200 motorcycles in it. They, there wasn't anything over 125. But certainly enough to get the job done. And I know in uh, in a lot of regions, uh, it's not just a uh, it's not just a commuter, but it's the uh, the pickup truck, it's the van, it's the family car too. Do you uh, do you see that to be the case? I mean, to a couple of people stacked up on those motorcycles there. Not here in Malaysia. Malaysia is a, uh, it, it's more of a, it's definitely not a third world country. Like you see the pictures of uh, six uh, people on a, on, a, on a motorbike that's 110 cc. You see that more in Cambodia or uh, Vietnam, Laos, uh, even a bit into Thailand. This is a, a very, Malaysia is a very upscale uh, country, uh, high standard of living uh, I saw Wendy's hamburger places uh, yesterday, uh, Starbucks. That's what I wanted to know uh, was what was going on <laughs> food-wise. Uh, I I even saw Fuddruckers last night. Uh, this is this is it, it, for uh, somebody that's uh, a food uh, aficionado. Kuala Lumpur here in the middle of, of Malaysia has got just about everything. I can't. Uh, it's uh, you know McDonald's, Burger King, they're all here. So at the Fuddruckers, do they have the uh, sides of beef laid out when you walk in the front door? You can see them back there behind the glass. Uh, you know, I I passed on looking in Fuddruckers, but just for you, uh, I'll walk in tonight and see if they got the meat laid out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, Text me that picture uh, when it, you get it. Well, speaking of uh, well, speaking of the westernization sort of uh, of the world, maybe there uh, is kind of you know as we go back, let's talk about a little bit about the book. Let's talk about uh, Carl Stern's Clancy. 
the first, uh, alleged to be anyway, the first man, as far as we know, the first gentleman to circumnavigate the globe uh, via motorcycle. And this was way back in uh, 1912 he started his journey. Um, what, uh, what inspired you to start uh, writing the book there? Uh, actually, what, uh, what drew my attention to his effort was uh, another book about Henderson motorcycles. I, I own a Henderson motorcycle, and in that coffee table book, there were three sentences that said, oh, by the way, uh, Carl Stern's Clancy had circled the globe in 1912, and they had a picture of him, and three sentences. Uh, and that started me on a journey uh, of, of 16 years to to find out about uh, his trip, uh, how long he took, what his route was, some of the things that he came up against and was able to, able to overcome. He, he really made a fantastic trip, nothing we could do today. Uh, for instance, he carried a gun with him, um, a twenty two caliber Savage handgun. Uh, as you know, we probably couldn't get out of the uh, customs office with something like that today. Or if we got in there, they'd probably throw us in the clink. Well, um, and that's just, but, I mean, uh, in a nutshell there, I mean, you're talking about, we're talking 1912, we're talking before World War One, an entirely different world. Uh, they didn't know what to do with him at a lot of borders when he showed up on his motorcycle. For instance, uh, as he crossed North Africa, he was the first motorcyclist to ever ride through Algeria. And when he showed up at that border, the the customs and immigration people really didn't know what to do with him. Here he is, an American, number one, and number two, he's on a, a motorcycle. They'd never seen a motorcycle before. So he had a, he had a lot of uh, head-scratching uh, uh, customs and immigration people that, uh, in some cases, just waved him on. In other cases, like he came out of um, uh, North Africa on a boat, he landed in Italy, and in Italy they told him, nope, you can't take your motorcycle off the boat. It stays on the boat. You can get off the boat, which he did, and he got on a train, and he went on up to uh, um, northern Italy, uh, played tourist, uh, went to Pike, uh, went to... Um, uh, Italian cities and took photographs, but his motorcycle stayed on the boat till he returned and, and he went onward from uh, Italy to, uh, he had hoped, uh, India, but uh, that didn't work out for him either. Uh, as he got close to India, he, he found out uh, that there was uh, no gas stations in India. Uh, he knew uh, from research that Cars had gone across India, so he figured he could follow their route, but the cars carried their own gasoline, and he wasn't able to to uh, find a way to carry that much gasoline, so he bypassed India. And uh, I just want to let our listeners listeners know as well that the book is out now, and the official title is Motorcycle Adventurer, Carl Stern's Clancy, First Motorcyclist to Ride Around the World, 1912 to 1913. Now, when you were uh, writing the book, did you uh, take steps to sort of retrace his path as best as you could? Was uh, that sort of uh, maybe one of the inspirations for you to get that out there and write it as you're doing the research? Uh, did you find uh, a little inspiration to say, hey, I'm going to go out and uh, you know cross some of the, the same roads and uh, the same borders that uh, Carl did? Oh, as a as a function of a of a research project, we have to fact check, uh, verify, 
was it uh, really possible to to do some of these things? I've seen another book, for instance, that is a very, very good travel log about motorcyclists that uh, circled the globe. But I think uh, that particular book was just a well-researched uh, fiction. Uh, in Clancy's case, I wanted to go back and make sure that uh, he was, in fact, uh, at certain points at certain times, uh, which entailed uh, not only uh, riding roads that uh, he claimed were there in 1912, 1913, but also verifying that uh, he was, in fact, on the boat uh, that left Philadelphia on the date that he said. Uh, and uh, in that case, we actually dug up the original uh, shipping manifest where he signed on uh, with uh, his riding buddy at the time, Walter Story. So they're both listed and signed uh, on the shipping manifest. So this is the kind of stuff you don't find on the on the Internet that hasn't been scanned in. That's his old, these are old, dusty papers. Sure. Um, and these types of stories, you know, these I really find that these are sometimes the uh, the best representation of actual history too, right? These kinds of travel logs where you can get a first person account. And uh, what what kind of motorcycle was uh, was Carl uh, riding uh, during this journey? He was using one of Henderson's very first uh, four cylinder inline. Motorcycles. The Henderson Company was formed in 1911. The two brothers uh, had worked for their father, who uh, had a car company, and uh, they decided to make motorcycles. The brothers. Uh, they apparently had a prototype that was done in 1911. Nobody's found it. Uh, but in 1912, they knocked out. They think uh, somewhere between 10 and 25 motorcycles. Uh, these were a motorcycle engine, in this case, uh, four-cylinder in line, uh, pretty much stuffed into a heavy-duty bicycle frame. Uh, it had uh, seven horsepower, uh, one gear. If you look at a picture of the motorcycle on the cover of the book, you see a lever on the left side of the gas tank. People think that's a gear shift like we've got on our later model Indians, but in fact, it's a, uh, it's a clutch. And if you push it uh, back, the clutch would uh, disengage. And if you pull it forward, it would engage so that the one gear um, could move the back wheel. Um, I saw this week that uh, there is one of those Hendersons up for sale at an auction that takes place tomorrow in Las Vegas. The one they're auctioning claims to have a belt drive, but the one that Henry, uh, Clancy was on uh, definitely had a chain drive. And mm. In fact, uh, when he ran into some real trouble out in Oregon, uh, he actually was able to change gears uh, because he had a chain, chain drive. Have you ever come uh, across... I'm sorry. Have you ever come across what? the actual bike that Clancy used? No. And uh, I kind of think it... Uh, disappeared. Uh, I've only come across one real 1912 Henderson. Um, that's owned by the uh, National Motorcycle Museum out in Anamosa, Iowa. Mm -hmm. They've got it in a gla glass case. Uh, whoever bought it originally uh, took very good care of it. It's got the original tires on it, their white wall, um, and you, the owner built uh, 
a cradle for it about an inch off the ground. It's a fascinating motorcycle. And John Parham, who's got it, uh, bought it off of a dentist estate some years ago. And although he wouldn't speak uh, directly to how much he paid or uh, how much uh, it would cost today, my guess, uh, based on uh, research, is that uh, a new owner would be happy at $250,000. Well, just a, a fascinating piece of history as well, and I mean that's definitely something that uh, needs to be continually displayed. Um, you know, I definitely encourage people to uh, check out the book. It's a uh, it's a great read, but I want to talk about it a little bit too. Uh, as I, I want to make a mention that uh, on our marketplace, if you go to soundwriter.com and you click on the marketplace, uh, you'll find a link for the book there and uh, – uh, Greg and I went around on this, so we've got the right link in now. You can get it both uh, as a as an ebook tablet version, or you can get it as a hardcover, or hard. I'm sorry, hard copy. And uh, speaking of books, you said that you mentioned earlier that you are actually doing a little research in Malaysia for a new book. What uh, is the next project you're working on? Can you tell us about that? Uh, the, the book in works right now is. Uh, about some of the characters that I've met in the last 50 years while I've circled the globe. Um, some expats, some travelers that were just on the road. I call them characters. They're female, male. They're on motorcycles. Sometimes they're moving. Sometimes they're stopped and uh, taking a break, uh, trying to figure out how to get enough money to make the next trip. Uh, but it's a cast of characters. It's pretty wild. Um, and uh, not necessarily uh, limited to uh, any particular nationality. I've I've met people from uh, some of the strangest places in the on the planet. I, I remember meeting a uh, a Russian guy going across the United States that was deaf. Uh, he had hoped to make a trip around the world. I I heard later that he crashed, but. Uh, I've met people with uh, dogs on their motorcycle. Uh, I've met some that were flim-flam artists, uh, you know, very good at uh, talking you out of money to help them on their trip. Sure. I've, I've met, met some that have made some awfully wild claims. And, uh, sometimes when you look at the, uh, the fact check, uh, that's what they are, it's wild claims. Anyway, I thought I would do a book about some of those characters, good, bad, and indifferent. Well, that sounds like a really interesting read, though. I mean, anytime you talk about 50 years in motorcycles, uh, you're bound to have a few good stories in there, I'm sure. Uh, now, before we got you on the phone here, uh, we had talked a little bit back and forth, and uh, we talked about some of the events that you sometimes do from time to time. Um, where can our listeners uh, sort of find out uh, where you're going to be this summer? Uh, I know you do a lot of uh, – you do some events, and uh, you, know, you tour and work with a couple of different companies. Uh, you're often on Horizons Unlimited. Where uh, where can we find out more about what you're up to? Well, in June, I will be at Americade at Lake George. That's about 6,000 motorcycle touring uh, attendees. Uh, and that's uh, June 4th. And then uh, a week later, I'll be at Bob's BMW in Jessup, Maryland. Bob's BMW is the largest BMW dealer in North America. And I've, I've appeared at his uh, shop before. He has a a really cool uh, shop museum uh, and uh, following out of the Washington, D.C. area. And he's, he's also got a motorcycle that I donated to him that uh, I, I had taken around the world, a BMW. 
uh, and he, he floats it in and out of his museum. Uh, I, I tell him uh, that I, I want to come back and visit it every now and then that, to fire it up because when I gave it to him and uh, donated it to the museum, I said, you know, this bike, it, it's running fine. You just have to add oil. It leaks oil from every orifice on the bike. Uh, he, he said, he, he said, how many uh, miles has it gotten? I say yeah, about 240,000 miles. Wow. I don't believe that's uh, uh, miles that there hasn't been work done on it. Everything on that motorcycle had been welded, changed, uh, except for the rod bearings and the uh, main bearings. I wanted to see how long those would go. And at two, 240,000 miles, uh, they were still working fine. Well, that's that's an incredible um, that, lifespan for a I, pair of bearings. At, uh, that well, that's a good old R80GS. Uh, they needed some work uh, before you took off on a long trip, but uh, they were simple and uh, easy to work on. So I was able to to push that one, pull it, drag it uh, a lot of places on the planet. Uh, the following week, I'll be at the Kawasaki. Concours Owner Group Rally, which is in Cortez, New Mexico. Uh, another interesting group. Uh, I've spoken with them before, and uh, they're always fun. They're they're riders. They they, they don't trailer bikes to their event. They're out there uh, knocking down miles from Florida and Maine to to convene each year somewhere uh, in the United States. Uh, in August, uh, in July, I'll be at the uh, BMW annual rally in uh, Billings, Montana. That's only 80 miles from my house, so I, I uh, acquiesced to some requests from sponsors to make an appearance there. I'll do two shows uh, for uh, people at the rally over, uh, I think it's the uh, 24th, 25th of July. And we will be there and, as well. What's that? I said we will be there as well. Oh, I look forward to meeting you. Uh, yeah. Carry a flag. Uh, wear, wear something so I can identify you. I, I, I've not done one of these BMW events for a number of years, but uh, they're, they're pretty good size, 4,000, 6,000 people. Well, you'll you'll find us in the vendor booth area, in the indoor vendor area. Okay. Uh, indoors or outside? Yeah, inside. Okay. Uh, I will be doing two shows. One is uh, on 100 years of uh, adventure motorcycling and dispelling some of the myths and secrets. And then the second one is about riding around the world. And uh, that's a, a one-hour show. So I'll, I'll do two shows, one on Thursday, one on Friday, I believe. And then I'll be hanging out at uh, Bob's uh, BMW booth. He'll also be in the vendor hall. Uh, I told him I'd... I, do that. He's been a good sponsor. He said, well, he wants me to sign books. And I said, only if I can uh, kiss babies and maybe kiss their mothers if they're uh, willing. <laughs> well, always a good turnout uh, from what I understand at that rally there. And uh, there sounds like some great presentations as well. Uh, do you have anything uh, coming up in August then too? Uh, I've got the annual, what they call big dog adventure ride. Uh, which uh, this year takes place August 8th through 12th in Colorado. Um, that's an invitational uh, adventure, off-road, gathering, fraternity, whatever you want to call it. Uh, of, of, I'm crazed. I, I call them crazed. Uh, 
people that uh, believe some of the marketing uh, advertisements that we see that you can take these big uh, behemoth uh, adventure bikes and really ride them off road. Um, <laughs> that's how it started. Uh, two, uh, uh, three customers of BMW of Denver had bought an R100 GSs, and the the owner of the BMW com- uh, dealership there asked me to to take them out, show them that they really could use the the motorcycles off road, uh, and uh, live up to some of the advertising that the, the company had put out. So we went out that year, there were four of us. Next year there were eight. Next year it was like twenty, and we finally put a cap on it. Uh, and and uh, now we're in our twenty-sixth year of taking big bikes and and doing things that we're probably not supposed to do. (laughs) Well, that that leads me actually to the last thing that I want to discuss with you because obviously you've got uh, so many miles uh, in the ADV space, and obviously it's becoming more and more popular, especially out here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I understand, I believe, that you're on a KLR650 right now, but what are your thoughts just on uh, sort of the adventure bike market right now? What are some of your favorites, uh, current and uh, from the past maybe? Yeah, you know, that's a question that comes up all the time. What is the best adventure motorcycle? And uh, I've probably uh, gone through a couple of hundred motorcycles in my travels around the world. Um, I've used an R69S to do a lot of off-road riding in Montana, Wyoming, uh, places that today some people would argue, oh, you have to have a... Uh, a KTM or a modern BMW to do that R69S did just well, just fine. I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be taken off road. <laughs> I also like the KLR 650s. Uh, I took one around the world. I've currently got about 40,000 miles on another one that is a project bike that we've built up and uh, tested for a happy trails. But in the end, uh, I tell people it, if uh, if there were uh, a uh, a factor in what is uh, the best adventure bike, it depends on the individual. Bottom line, it's what you can afford and what you can have fun with. Uh, I'm not in favor of dropping thirty thousand dollars in a in a motorcycle to make a trip that I could make uh, just as easily on a six thousand dollar motorcycle. Uh, one of my associates, when I asked him the definition of adventure riding, he said, it's like sex. It all takes place between your ears. <laughs> and uh, that, so it, 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 the make and model of the motorcycle is a, an ancillary to the adventure. Uh, the trip that I'm currently on, the sixth ride around the world, uh, we another fellow and I decided we were going to uh, make it uh, over a four-year period and take extended pit stops, which I'm on right now. But uh, for North America and South America, we're using two 1983 Honda CX650s. Uh, we bought them off of eBay. Uh, we've done about 10,000 miles on each one of them now. Uh, our total investment, each one of those bikes, is $4,400 to date. And... Uh, they do uh, just fine for what we're doing. We're not out riding single track on them, but uh, we're, uh, we, we re, uh, 
we rode a lot of Clancy's original route uh, up through Oregon, uh, which he uh, claimed was the toughest part of his route uh, around the world. So, uh, you know, those are those are, are not considered adventure bikes from a marketing standpoint. All the way down to Ushuaia uh, uh, on the west coast, and and then come up the east coast to Buenos Aires on them starting in December. Now, will you, uh, when you say this is going to be four years, do you mean that you'll you'll be on the road the entire four years, or will you like ditch the bikes under a tree and take a flight home and spend a few months at home and then go back and find that tree again? Or <laughs> the bikes are currently under a tree uh, uh, just north of Miami Beach, uh, Florida, and uh, they've been there for uh, just about a year. Uh, I'm over here in, in Asia, uh, for the winter and my partner, uh, is, uh, counting down the days until he can pull the plug on retirement. So we, we, uh, will, uh, reconnect with the motorcycles in December and head for South America. So I call these ex extended pit stops. Uh, you call it sitting under a tree, uh, the bikes, uh, we did about, uh, 10,000 miles from San Diego up, up to Seattle, across to New York and down to uh, Miami in, uh, June of last year. So, uh, we, we know the bikes are, are, are good, solid runners. We just need to put new batteries in them and, and uh, reshoe them with some, uh, good, good South America tires. And you said we're off for South America. You said this is a CX650. Is that a, a street bike, or was that sort of a dual sport for that time? It's not even close to a dual sport. Uh, we made them dual sports. Uh, they're they're a cruiser. Uh, ah, okay. You, you sit you sit sit in them. Uh, uh, you're low to the ground, and uh, your handlebars are are uh, back uh, about mid gas tank. But we put uh, some nice, happy trails, aluminum painters on them, some good luggage racks. Um, I've got some arrow-stitched uh, tank panniers on mine, um, plastic windscreens on the front. Uh, we beefed up the front suspension with some progressive springs because they were a little squishy. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> again, it's back to what's the best bike. Well, we're having great fun on these $4,400 bikes. Uh, and uh, they'll do just fine uh, where we're going next, which is down the West Coast of uh, South America and then up the East Coast. I did it once before uh, with a CX-650 uh, Honda Interstate, uh, Silverwing. That's that's the same bike. It yeah. had a full fairing on the front. And, uh, again, we put some bigger boxes on the back, but. I remember this bike now. They're, they're a V engine with a, a drive shaft, uh, pretty much maintenance free. You just turn the key and go. Now these these are not the turbo models, right? No, uh, that's the connection that I have with this other fellow that's going with me. Uh, Richard collects turbos. I think he's got seventeen of the eighty three models. Uh, two of them with zero miles. I've got an eighty two uh, turbo. So when we met, uh, that's was our connection and when we started talking about going around the world uh he suggested we take these cx uh, 650s because we both know that they're pretty solid runners 
and uh, we don't need the turbochargers. Uh, we can get a ticket on these nice solid street bikes just as easily as we can on the turbocharged models. Well, I think uh, echoing uh, on that note and also uh, Carl Stern's Clancy's seven horsepower there just goes to prove the old adage that uh, the best bike to ride is the bike you have. Um, and I think, Greg, you know, on that note, I think uh, we're going to get you out of here. And I certainly appreciate the time. I hope that you will keep us updated here at Sound Rider on your current journey, your sixth uh, trip around the world. Um, this was really a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you've been somebody who I've uh, sort of followed since I've gotten into the sport for the last couple of years. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time here on the Sound Rider Show. Well, I look forward to seeing both of you guys up in Billings, Montana in July and possibly out to uh, uh, the Columbia River area in August. Yeah, we hope we can make that. We hope that you can get that to work out for you. Yeah, All we, right. we definitely. Gentlemen, it's been fun. Uh, I'll say uh, sayonara, au revoir, abiento, ciao, uh, and however they say it in Malaysian. Uh, goodbye, I think. And I'll give you a goodbye and an adios here from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, again, Greg, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Honda's Goldway and CTX lineups feature some of the most innovative motorcycles around. You've heard it. You've read it. Now it's time to experience it. Start your journey with a Honda demo ride today. For a limited time, you can demo the Goldwing, Goldwing F6B, and Goldwing Valkyrie, as well as the CTX 1300, CTX 700, and CTX 700N. The only way to truly appreciate how great these bikes are is to get out and ride them. The Start Your Journey demo event is happening now at Southbound Honda at 2724 96th Street South in Lakewood, Washington. So what are you waiting for? Dealer participation may vary. See dealer for complete program details. Hi, I'm Tim. I live in Burien, and a few of my favorite rides in the state of Washington are uh, probably number one is Washington 20. Uh, it's just a nice scenic trip, like traveling through the Alps, and right behind that would be uh, Lolo Pass uh, on the pavement, or if you're really adventuresome, take the uh, Lolo Motorway. Uh, or the Magruder Corridor to go east and west. Uh, all great rides. Wow, that was uh, a great interview that we had with Dr. Greg. And we're going to wrap it up here pretty quick. But, you know, uh, speaking with uh, Dr. Greg Frazier there, as we mentioned, you know, circled the world so many times, uh, that kind of got some internal discussion here between you and I and the Soundwriter HQ about maps and mapping software. Yeah, we were uh, we were working on Sasquatch Dual Sport today, and uh, Derek was using Google Maps. And uh, I went ballistic, I guess, didn't I? Well, you know, I was using uh, some modern technology, and then uh, Tom uh, sauntered over to the bookshelf, uh, dusted it off an old-school atlas. Ha, ha, ha. It was a 2013 atlas. Come on now. <laughs> well, I couldn't uh, see the date on there, but uh, it did bring up some interesting points. And, uh, you know, we do use atlases quite a bit, actually, in our research and planning here at Soundwriter. And uh, you seem to be a bit of an evangelist there. Uh, what's your take? Well, you know, I'm I'm 
I'm I'm always one to kind of hold back my opinions and stuff, and so we've noticed that. Yeah, yeah. If you ask me what I thought of Google Maps, go ahead and ask me what I think of Google Maps. Tom, what do you think of Google Maps? It sucks. Oh, well, there goes that sponsorship. If you're a motorcyclist and you want to stay out of the dirt or get in the dirt, Google Maps won't do that for you very well because they don't delineate as of yet what's a dirt road and what's a paved road. And that's why I really stay close to those benchmark atlases that we use here because they show us specifically what's dirt, what's paved, um, well, we were out pre-riding the rally one year. Bruce and I stumbled upon a couple in a car on a dirt road, and they said, "Oh, hey, uh, this is uh, this is dirt, this is a dirt road." I said, "Yeah, it is." I said, "Well, it didn't say so on Google Maps, and it doesn't." So their choice was they could either go south ten miles to get out, or backtrack ten miles out on a dirt road to get back to pavement. We'll definitely get some more accuracy uh, in those benchmark atlases, particularly. And I think that's a great point, um, and I think that there is uh, probably benefits to using both. Of course, one thing about Google Maps is you can carry the entire world in your chest well, that, pocket. That's what I was going to ask you now. When you went down to South America – Central America, sure. Central America, mm-hmm. you were primarily using Google Maps to get around, right? I did not take one paper map with me. Right. And the maps that are available for – say, second world, third world countries are not as good as what we have when we're working with something like MapSource or even our atlases. But uh, uh, I know that you kind of exclusively used Google Maps because that was really part of the only, probably one of the only resources you could get a hold of down there. I did. You know, I used uh, a lot of Google Maps, and I also used uh, sort of a third-party software that escapes me, but I did download some more detailed maps as well. But I don't recall that they uh, delineated between dirt and pavement. Of course, um, that delineation in Central America can, uh, can be a little here nor there. But you know, I think uh, part of it for me, too, is there is a little bit uh, of adventure of just turning down the road and just taking it as it goes. But if you're on a strict maybe weekend or week tour and you've got to plan out your route – Definitely, I think that those atlases can come in handy. Yeah, and if you're if you're on a street bike and you definitely don't want to get on the the gravel, you, you know. So I think really the the tip of the month here is when you're doing your trip planning, uh, don't rely on one resource. The more you use, the better. Whether it's atlas, whether it's uh, map source or base camp or Google Maps, or, I mean, you know, Bing Maps. There's all of these different resources available to you, and the more of them that you use, the better you'll be able to do your trip planning. That's true. And, you know, I wish, uh, riding around here in the Northwest, I wish I knew somebody who authored more detailed books about, like, dual sport touring and just uh, sport touring and that kind of thing, too. Do you have any suggestions there, Tom? I would recommend you get into the Soundwriter Guides that are available on our website. You set me up. Look at that. (laughs) And I certainly did. But those are really great resources, and you do an excellent job on those books. So I definitely encourage people to pick up a copy and uh, see if they can't maybe find a new route. All right, writers, that wraps up our show this month. Thanks for tuning in. If you have friends that need to know about the Soundwriter Show, slip them the link, soundwriter.com backslash show. And there they'll find the most recent as well as previous shows. We'll see you next time on the Soundwriter Show. And remember, don't ride like my mother. And don't ride like my mother. We'll see you next time. 
The Sound Writer Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patients of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.